A quick warning. In this episode, we discuss mental health in terms of being in psychiatric units, OCD, depression, trauma, and suicide attempts. There is also mentions of self-harm. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, my name is Rachel and I am the host of Things I Wish I'd Known. I decided to set up this podcast because A, I love talking, I love learning from people, I love conversation and B, there are so, so many things I wish I'd known in my past, so many things I wish I'd known about my mental health, about self-care about magic, mystery, spirituality, about so many things that I know now, these crazy new breakthroughs in science, frequency, sound, all kinds of things that I'm now so passionate about that I wish I'd known. And I'm hoping that by sharing these conversations with you, I'm gonna be able to maybe relieve some suffering, maybe share some laughs and share some knowledge Some of it you may think is amazing, some of it won't resonate, and that's okay. But I really, really want to get this knowledge out there. So I hope you enjoy listening to things I wish I'd known. Hello, and welcome to Things I Wish I'd Known with your host, Rachel, the founder of Welford Wellbeing. I am here today with Sam Houghton, and I'm really excited to speak to her. She is an award-winning author of a book, The Invisible Girl. She is a ghostwriter, a book mentor, and she helps people essentially get their story out there. And one of the reasons that she's really passionate about doing that is because her story is so interesting. And when she put it out there, she actually won an award for it. So she's obviously qualified to be able to bring people's stories to life and to share knowledge and information, which is obviously something I'm very passionate about with this podcast. So welcome, Sam. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Rachel. No, thanks for inviting me on. Sounds The theme of your, your podcast sounds great, really sort of appeals to me. I'm so glad. I just, it's so funny, isn't it? Because with my mental health and with my journey that I've been on these last few years, I just thought, oh my God, if I'd have known that before. And I kept having that thought, if only I'd known that before. If oh I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hindsight's a beautiful thing. <laughs> oh my God. And, I, and then I've been thinking about doing a podcast for a while, but I kept feeling pigeonholed. I thought, oh, I don't just want to talk about mental health. I don't mm-hmm. just want to talk about I don't know, suicide or these situations that have really, really affected my life. I don't just want to talk about spirituality or energy work or frequent mm-hmm. thing. I want to talk about all these things. They all excite yeah. me. Yeah. So I thought, wow, with something like this, it's great because you can actually talk to millions of different people about millions of different things and really give that useful information, the thing, what is the thing you wish you'd known? You know, yeah, or, absolutely. And hopefully help people. So it's a bit of a love letter, a bit of a love letter to you know, our younger selves. and I like that. I like that. Yeah. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about like, how did you get into being a book mentor, being a writer and to help other people and yourself get your story out there? And and I guess, Mm. obviously I know your story. That's why I wanted to get you on the the podcast, Mm -hmm. but just letting the listeners know a little bit of background, you know, how did you get from where you were to where you are now? 
Yeah, sure. Okay, so when I was a, a young girl, I can remember back to about the age of 10, I loved English at school, creative writing. I was one of these people that was a bookworm. I was either writing or I was reading. And that's who I was. And when I had dreams of becoming an author and a journalist when I became older. Mm. Then my life took a, a very unexpected path to what you would imagine at 10 years old of what your teenage years and your 20s and your 30s would be like. And I found myself eight years ago starting up my first business, which was a retail business. Now, five years into that, I literally worked myself into the ground and I identified, I, I finally stopped and I thought, what, what am I doing? Mm. So whilst it had been a really exhilarating, exciting journey, underneath I still recognized that I still wasn't feeling good enough which has been the massive theme throughout my life but to the point where I'd now worked myself into the ground I was making myself physically ill and my mental health was suffering and I was absolutely exhausted and if you put I'm a single mum if you throw that into the mix as well I just had to make a different make some different choices yeah but the one thing I'd found through this business journey was that I finally had a voice. So I embarked on some speaker training. I went on to things like this, podcasts, mm-hmm. networking groups, any opportunity to speak about your why. And I was there. And I realized, wow, this is holding a lot of power for me. And so it really started to take me back into my past, which I really thought on a logical level that I'd left behind. Mm. However, I really hadn't. And I, I believe everything's for a reason. And I believe I was, I was on this path to lead me to what I'm doing now because the more and more I started to speak, the more I realized that all I wanted to do was share my story, which goes right back to being a, that young girl, age 10. And yeah, I can't remember too much before that. And so that's eventually what I did. So I burnt out from this business and I had several months where I was just recovering and during that time and away from the busyness of social media and technology Mm. I really was able to start to listen to myself and it wasn't like I was sitting there meditating you know with my legs crossed or anything like that I do I do a small bit of meditation but I've always been one to have quiet a quiet Mm -hmm. spot in the day I have to sit in silence Otherwise, I just feel like I'm going crazy because my head's like quite full of ideas and thoughts churning around. And it was in that those few months that I really could listen to my inner voice, which we all have, that yeah. intuition, your soul, whatever you want to call it, your higher self. And it was speaking to me louder and louder, write your book, write your book, write your book share your story, <laughs> which I'd already started to do the year before, but then I'd stopped. Yeah. I'd like written a mini version of my story. <laughs> what stopped you just out of interest? Because there's probably a lot of people that yes. are listening that are like, I might, you know, they might even be in that position now where they're like, oh, I started it and now it's half done. And Yeah. Well, that kind of happened sort of by accident, except I don't think there is such a thing as accident. So I'd, I'd met with a, a business colleague. She'd left the coffee shop and I was staying on to write out. I was putting together a new talk for the week. Mm-hmm. For a presentation and what I found was about I was there for about three hours and it just went well beyond the talk and I'd actually written sort of 50 pages a mini version 
of my st- my whole story wow. like condensed, condensed version and I was like oh, what's going on here where where's this all sort of come from because I guess I'd started you to taking off the Pandora's lid a little yeah <laughs> and it was just that day it just all was coming out like, so I was nice. like wow <laughs> so then I went away and I crafted that and I thought this is it uh, there's something here and I crafted two like what I call proper chapters so I took sections of it and then elaborated on it but then I I went to see a publisher actually and they were interested but I didn't feel aligned to the publisher and then I think things came up because I was like really exhausted at this point that was kind of like the beginnings of it I just didn't feel I had the energy and I felt very fearful about writing about my family and my parents in particular however over these months when I was sort of recovering I couldn't get the idea out of my head <laughs> and I knew I'm a bit of a devil for that once the idea is there I have to act on it if I really want to do it yeah. and so over the months it was became a burning desire and I thought I'm, I'm doing it whatever but my parents I spoke to them this is why I want to do it I want to help other people and there's something in me that needs to do this it's like the most powerful force and they were great about it and they fully supported me and so I did sort of a few months later after the Christmas I sat down and it flooded out of me 16 days and what was written wow um, yeah it, it was just like it was like a bit of a mini miracle it mm. felt like because I just instinctively knew exactly what to do how to do it and then but I had no idea how to turn it into a book so I was then on a mission for that but I feel like I just read that day when I finished my book I stepped into alignment yeah. I was like this is what I'm doing this is what I'm here for and because I just felt I just I can remember feeling that when I was younger as well it's like I was here for a big purpose. Mm. I didn't really know what, but I was here for a big purpose. And so, and, and it was that thought that really kept me going, you know, through mm-hmm. my years of like real struggles and trauma that I went through. That really inspired me and it always kept like that spark of hope going. Yeah. So, you know, you just briefly mentioned there about the the trauma and the the things that were happening in your past. I don't know if you're happy to just go into that in a little more detail and just maybe explain I know there was at points times where you you attempted to take your life and I just you know one of the things I'm really want to cover for people is if you've never been there it's very very difficult right to to understand the mindset of of somebody that's in that space and I know this is such a sensitive subject and I understand that it's very difficult for a lot of people to talk about so I'm really grateful that that you're willing to to share and I think it can be really useful hopefully for anyone that's listening that might be in that space at the moment or anyone who's got a family member who's in that space or god forbid you know has has been and attempted it themselves then maybe we can kind of share a little bit about what it's actually like of course yeah so yeah my my teen years were incredibly painful the week before my 16th birthday I was admitted to a psychiatric unit for teenagers Mm. because for the year kind of about a year prior to that my mental health had declined quite a bad state Mm. so it kind of like to put it in sort of context my dad my dad was an, an alcoholic 
I was a very sensitive girl. I always was high, highly feeling, highly emotional. Mm. And but I was shy. I was bullied. We moved from city to a village school. Where I was wrenched apart from all of my friends as I was going through puberty. Then my dad lost his business. He lost his dad. A lot happened all at once. My mum was always very wrapped up in the pain of living with an alcoholic. And so emotionally, even though we had two outsiders looking in, it looked like a really good life. Emotionally, my parents were quite unavailable for me and my brother. Mm. And I loved them dearly. And I always knew I was loved. But I always felt there was something about me that it just wasn't enough. Mm. There was something fundamentally wrong with me. I was flawed in some way. And and I had very, very low self-esteem and low worth. And I became very depressed. I wasn't leaving the house. I was truly to school. I was very, very anxious, particularly about leaving the house. I suppose bordering on agoraphobic at times. And I became, I had OCD where I was religiously checking things, counting, obsessing over things like that. So it was, it was just all consuming and I was just in a really bad place. But I think the two things that were the hardest for me were feeling things so deeply and, and the turbulence of emotions with that and not knowing how to contain my emotions and of letting go. I was always a very obsessive thinker and I struggled to let thoughts go. and. Yeah, and I had all of this anger within, but I didn't quite realise that as that young person. So this was all brewing up inside of me, all of this emotion. And it it was so intense and I had no real way of releasing it because I I didn't feel able to talk to anybody and there didn't seem to be anybody to talk to. Mm. I did used to write to help express some of it, but that only took me so far because I'd really gone down the rabbit hole. And... I was in this unit for 16 months of my life, taken away from my family, which I was happy to go there, but I didn't want to actually leave. So when I was discharged, you'd had all of this therapy, medications and things, but I wasn't really any different. Mm. And so, and I knew I just, it was going to struggle. I didn't want to grow up. I didn't know how to be. I didn't have those tools that, you know, adults have. And it was all very, very confusing. So I went back into the world and I struggled like crazy. So I reverted back to old habits. I went to enrolled at college, started Turing for college. And in all my time that I was there in the school counsellor's room crying and in, in such panic state. Like I've got memories of like walking through college corridors, just crying my eyes out because I just couldn't cope with people around me. It was just hideous. When I look back on those years, I think, God, how did that girl get through all of that? So much so that then I went to another college after that. This was trying to catch up on exams that I'd missed being in this unit, Mm. which didn't go that well because I missed most of it. But then I was like, right, what? I have to do something. So I I went to, the only thing I could think of at that point was I'd always loved cooking, mainly at home with my mum and things. And it was something I could do. So I thought, right, okay, I'll go to catering college. There was something about this that I think because it was more vocational, rather than academic, I was able to, I fitted in a bit better. And I guess I was that bit older by that point. I was very much a loner, very much a loner. But I did, I did well in the course and I managed to go attend most of the time. But then when it came towards the, the halfway through the second year, 
the reality looming to have to leave college, get a job and be an adult, which I still didn't feel able to be, mm. just overwhelmed me. And it was at that period in my life that I, I took a, made an attempt on my life because I can honestly say I didn't, I didn't want to die at that point, but I didn't know how to go on yeah. because I'd had all of this help already. And I was still really struggling yeah. and I couldn't understand why. And if I've had the help and it's not helped me, where do I go from here? And, yeah. I, and I never felt like anybody understood me. And I just felt so on my own. And I just, I didn't feel I had an alternative at that point. And I really panicked. Mm. And yeah, so, so that's what I did, which ended obviously, it wasn't successful, but it landed me in a, an adult psychiatric ward which which was very different to the unit it was a very yeah not obviously a very unpleasant experience but it was I still preferred that to being in the real world it was kind of safe why do you think that was just the safety aspect yeah because I didn't have to face a lot of it was about facing people Mm. so I felt so unworthy but I just I didn't seem to know how to or I didn't believe I knew how to function with, with people. I think as well with depression, specifically just talking from my own experience with it, it's quite hard to describe to people just how something as simple as standing up out of bed in the morning can literally feel like the equivalent of climbing Everest. So I oh. imagine if you having depression and then you've got to think about, I don't know, finding a flat and paying bills and, you know, getting a job and, you know, things that for a lot of teenagers would be very exciting, right? Like, oh, this is the next stage of my life. But if you've got something like depression or, you know, mental health issue that essentially makes you feel like brushing your teeth is a really, really big job. Mm, yeah. Sort of kind of doing everything yeah. else. I remember like, when my to-do list was essentially get out of bed, brush my teeth, get dressed. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that was pretty much all I had on my to-do list because I was yeah. sick. Yeah. And it just felt overwhelming. It felt like the, you know, the weight of that list of things to do, which, you know. Yeah, massive, I mean, I'm not it? laughing about, you know, the, the illness. Yeah. Like where I'm at now when I think. I know, I know. I can't actually. Yeah. It's hard to almost relate to that woman that was there because I'm so different now. But really, you can't express to people how overwhelming and exhausting the smallest, minute little task is. And so I imagine you kind of coming out of that unit and having to face, you know, what felt like a whole new world must have been the weight of that must have felt really. Yeah, Yeah, immense. Because I think now as an adult, when I look back, I think I'd probably become very kind of institutionalized Mm. because that was my norm. And that's always been my default setting. So for many, many years onwards, I had a lot more sort of struggles, conflict. Mm. I had further admissions, but that was always my safety zone. But you know, the one thing that thinking about this, the one thing that I probably wanted most of all at that point in my life was someone to love me. That's what I, that's what I really craved, it, you know, at my core. Yeah. And obviously now I realise that's a lot about giving that love to yourself, but that what I felt I'd missed from my parents. Mm. And I don't mean that in a horrible way. I've got a great relationship with them now. But at that point, I was just emotionally I'd missed that. I think as well it's 
understanding other people's capacity for love, right? So yeah. everyone gives and receives love in different ways. And, you know, there's, I think it's at the five languages of love or whatever, if you've ever, ever seen that book. And so, and also I think if you don't, if you haven't got a baseline understanding of love for yourself, it's actually mm. very difficult to get, receive love from other people. Like even if it comes, you won't recognize it. You'll yeah. reject, kind of reject yeah. it or you'll bat it off. Or yeah. like, I remember when people used to compliment me and I really didn't like myself and they'd say, oh, yes. what a lovely dress. Or, oh okay. yeah. And you'd bat the compliment back. Absolutely. Saying something like, you know, oh, this old thing, oh, it's really, uh, oh, eaten or it's whatever or oh actually I've put on five pounds and it's like, yeah put yourself down yeah, well, yeah. just saying yeah thank you yes absolutely oh yeah that was the, yeah that was the norm yeah. yeah yeah but then I think also like when you're a young person and you're going through puberty and that's god that's confusing at the best of times and it's but you don't realize you don't realize those things that you may not have had no I do believe they are like really fundamental things to growing up as a secure adult as well but I think sometimes we forget that parents are people too yeah and you know not excusing behavior accepting behavior or anything like that but often yeah people haven't been taught themselves no that's right the capacity because they're dealing with an addiction or they're dealing with whatever they might be at their capacity already like giving as much as they can but actually yeah. they're empty and so it's it's quite a complex thing isn't it and I think your well-being is something that no one really is taught mm. don't grow up saying when a toddler has a tantrum saying okay obviously it's very hard to communicate with anyone when they're having a tantrum it doesn't matter what age they are mm. and, but once the child's calmed down going hey Mm. what happened there what's going on you know you okay mm. oh mm. it's okay to be angry it's okay mm. to these, these are this is the plethora of emotions yeah but what we tend to do or at least in Britain anyway is you know we have a naughty step or we have a yeah. go to your room until you can learn how to behave and it's like well what am I supposed to le- what am I supposed to learn yeah shut I'm your feelings down I'm yeah learning to shut everything down and yes. you're not going to love me yeah. if I behave like that yeah and that's not anyone's intention I'm sure you know there's no parents are intentionally going out and doing that parents are tired parenting's difficult yeah. <laughs> like it's a big thing for people to, to do but it's it's interesting that you you've said that because I think there is definitely a conversation to be had around capacity Mm. Yeah, to accept love mm. and capacity to give love and the fact that that actually fluctuates and I remember I remember actually my mum she used to have this thing about love bucket it was really cute oh, when we were little she yeah this thing about a love bucket and she used to say you know sometimes your love bucket will get holes in and it will spring a leak and then oh. sometimes you need a bit more love in it and and she would say you know and if we didn't have enough love or if we didn't have enough energy she'd say give me your arm and then sort of you know you'd be little with your arm above your head and she'd you know wiggling your arm saying I'm filling you up I'm filling you up (laughs) (laughs) and like you don't think like now I think oh that was probably quite progressive you know parenting at the time you don't think think about things like that when you go back but you know I do think there's that thing if we we forget that just because one day someone had the capacity to listen to all your problems Mm. and everything else the next day they might not have the same fluctuates and I, th- I think the thing is, though, is what I'm not making excuses, but I think when you are a young person, you just really don't realise that. No. You you expect, well, I certainly did. It's kind of like I expected my parents to, like, really, I guess, protect me and nurture me. And 
and it, and it's like I turned all of that on its head because it was in my late 20s when I had my son that that is actually what really I say started to heal me it gave me the reason to want to heal because up until that point I didn't mm. I still hated myself within yeah I didn't feel worthy yeah and if you don't feel worthy you can't no. it doesn't matter how many times other people tell you your worth no you just can't accept it because in my mind, it was, didn't think my parents thought I was worthy enough. And if you don't think your parents feel that, then who else is going to? So I've, it's not like in a blameful way, it's just innocently how I felt as that young person. And, you know, they, they're kind of like your world when you're younger, aren't they? And mm. I see it now for what it is. They were both in a lot of pain themselves. But yeah, adult, I know adult perspective is a beautiful thing to share with the inner child, right? It's yeah. You know, the the child doesn't have adult perspective. As an adult, we can mm-hmm. be like, "Well, you know, my parents were really busy, or they had they had financial problems, or they had addictions they were working through, or they had, you know, whatever it was that they were doing." Yeah. And and I think blame never solves anything anyway. Because, no. You know, all the time we're finger pointing and like, "Oh, it's yeah. your, fault, your fault, your fault." Yeah. We're not actually empowering ourselves. No. Actually, accepting that we can be empowered around our emotions and that yeah. by holding on to blame and hatred and bitterness and all these other negative emotions are only really oh yeah poisons you yeah 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 but when you can kind of realize that you have the power to really Uh and I think yes again around a thing I mean going back to when you know obviously you had the attempt how did you feel Mm. afterwards because for me I don't think I've ever woken up with such a new lease and lust for life as the day after I failed wow it was different I didn't feel like that I felt very ashamed Mm. felt very guilty that came later did it (laughs) yeah yeah I felt very ashamed very guilty actually still felt very angry Mm. that a I was still in the same situation, full of fear. Oh, what was I going to do? But then when they said, you're going into this, onto a ward, that was a relief because I thought, oh, it's taking me away from what I'm really afraid of. Again, just for a bit, temporary sort of um, space to be. Mm. And I guess, what was one of your biggest learnings like, on your journey? What's, what's one of the biggest learnings that you've you've taken on board (laughs) 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 gosh yeah that's that's a tough one isn't it so I think probably learning to let go Mm. and really yeah and really understanding about being a highly sensitive person as much as I don't like labels Mm. I feel that one serves me quite well because it helps me to understand me and why I might behave in certain ways and need, you know, quite a bit of quiet time and feel things on such a deep level, whether that's good or whether that, well, not good or bad, uh, whether that's positive or whether that's, you know, unhelpful. Mm. I just seem to feel them to quite an extreme, but I think that is about my wiring as well. Yeah. I just, yeah, my son's quite similar to me in that way. I agree with you about the labels. I think labels can be quite unhelpful a lot of the time. But mm. when I got my diagnosis of depression and anxiety, I literally felt like my whole life suddenly made sense. Yes. It was like, 
Yeah. Oh my God, that's why yeah. I do the things I do. That's why I've been self-medicating so much. That's why I've tried to take my life. That's yeah. why, you know, actually then you can kind of go, oh, once I feel like as long as you don't get stuck in the label. Yeah. You know, if you can, if you can take the label and go, okay, this label means that this is likely to be my pattern. You can reverse yeah. engineer that pattern and you mm. can start to heal yourself from whatever that, whatever that yeah. label is. Yeah. Once you know what the problem is, you can start to solve it. But I think a lot of us, I mean, I definitely was, was just blindly, you know, running through life, hoping that, I'm sorry if anyone just heard a thing, I'll just drop my notepad for those listening on the <laughs> <laughs> didn't see that you might have seen the YouTube version but you know if you're sort of blindly going through and you're just trying to do the best that you can you don't really understand why you're behaving in the way you're behaving why you might fly off the handle or why you might get so angry and you're not able to control it why you might get so mad and withdrawn yeah start to go oh okay that's just because I'm I'm angry because I'm scared of the world (laughs) or I'm sad yeah yeah when you can start to understand that, you can start to put the tools in place uh-huh. to heal yourself. Uh huh. That oh gosh, that's a massive subject for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just I've just written all about a lot of that actually in, in my next book because the one thing I really identified was letting go of my labels because mm. I totally got stuck with mine. Yeah, you got but stuck it, in the story. It, it was my identity. That was it. Sam the sick girl you know the mentally ill and as much as I hated it and had the shame around it I couldn't seem to move out of it and I'm talking for decades and some of that was self-imposed so when I was truanted from school when I was 15 I was going to libraries because the school didn't let the parents know for months on end this is like way back in the 80s Mm. you can't see that happening now but it was what I was doing all the time was trying to find out what was wrong with me because I felt I was this bad, unworthy person. So I was trying to read all these books on psychiatry and basically I could identify with a lot of the sort of symptoms and things. Mm-hmm. So I was like, that's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I am. And then when doctors, psychiatrists had given me labels as well, that was confirmed. So that was it. This is who she is. And I, oh God, I was stuck with and it. And it just didn't serve me after that. No. It was, I, I can get what you're saying, but it's it's if you can move forward with that, use that as knowledge, powerful knowledge, which is what I do these days. But my God, it took me 30 years to do that. I think I was lucky with my meditation journey in the sense of like part of my healing was meditation. And obviously in meditation, you're learning that you are not your thoughts. You're not mm. your physical body. You're not your emotions. You know, you are pure consciousness. Yeah. Actually, yeah. When you start to practice that, you you know, labels come into that too. Well, then I am not this depression. I'm not this anxiety. I'm not these panic attacks. I'm not, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm much more than that. And so I think mm. that enabled me to, to kind of let go of that much quicker. And I think because yeah. I was studying a lot of Louise Hay's work, yeah. she says, the more you say, I am depressed or I am sick or I am whatever, Absolutely. you're actually reaffirming yeah. that. Yeah. So now I'm, I find it quite hard at the moment to, to understand the language I need to use because uh-huh. there's a part of me that's 100% convinced that I've completely healed myself from depression and anxiety and I'm you know, never going to relapse yeah. and it's just gone. And there's another part of me that's like, but what if, you know, like, yes. there's a part of me that's almost like on yes. in the background that's like, yes. 
but it might come back though, you know, and like days where maybe I'm just a bit tired or something and I, th- I struggle to get out of bed in the morning and that used to be a yeah. bigger for me. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. Back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, I can totally relate to that. Yeah, totally. Re- I recently, if you were well, about a couple of months ago, I had a very, very unpleasant experience mm. that triggered me big time. And there was so much fear attached to that. And I and I really panicked and thought it was a circumstance, an outside thing that had happened. But because I reacted to it mm. so much, and I, I do believe it actually re-traumatised me a bit because I went into sort of dissociation and that. Yeah. And really couldn't function for a few weeks. I then went into massive fear. Of, oh, yeah. my God, what's happening to me? I'm going backwards. And it was only when I got a great friend who's a counsellor and she says, no, she says, you're not. She says, you just, she called it licking your wounds. Mm. You're having to just deal with the emotions that this has brought up for you. And then you'll be fine. Just sit I with love, it. I love, can't remember who I learned this off. If it's you, tell me and I'll tag you in the things. Oh, okay. But it, somebody said to me once, it's not a relapse. It's a reminder. Yeah. I like that. And yeah. I was just like, oh, it gives you so yeah. much more power and freedom, that, that yeah. language. Yeah. And looking at it like a relapse and I've gone backwards and I've yeah. and all this hard work and it's come to nothing and all that kind of thought mm-hmm. process. Actually, yeah. throughout that, oh, it's just a reminder. Yes. A reminder of, oh, okay, well, yeah. you know, there's a bit more work to be done there. Or when I behave like this, it yes. see has this happen. Or if I hang out in these environments, it's, I'm going to get triggered by that. Yeah. And there's still a little bit more work to do on that trigger. Yeah. It's changing um, the belief around that, isn't it? Just because you feel, and you know what, when we go through life and if, and if unpleasant stuff happens to us, it's normal, isn't it? Yeah. To have a reaction. Whereas because I, I do, when I, I think it's kind of what you're saying is like when I was younger, I grew up, believing you see that all of these emotions were abnormal <laughs> and if I felt anxiety or fear Jesus there was something really wrong so find a label stick that on you if you're feeling down that's what you you know you depress you this you this and so that's so hardwired into me and even though I know differently now I, I fell right back into that mm. and I went into a big panic yeah of course well I'm just conscious of time so I want to oh. ask obviously the the key question, what do you wish you'd known about, you know, I guess for you, it's like life in general or life after mental illness or what, you know, what do you wish you'd known before you've been on this big journey and you've, you've healed? I, th- I think for me, one of the, the main struggles was knowing who I was, believing in myself. Mm. And I guess I think, I think the thing for me probably is listening to yourself listening to your inner voice mm. because that is who you truly are That's rather so than it is yeah because it was all my life it's been outside influences often labels and you've been told this you've been told that and this fear of what other people think and actually if the whole time I was secure enough to trust in that and have that faith in me my inner self the real me Mm. then I think my path would have been really different but then I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now yeah I think that is the thing as well isn't it is always seeing hope and always seeing the fact Mm. that I often look back and I think wow you know some of the really negative experiences that I've had 
have really shaped me actually and enabled me to be I think potentially a better therapist potentially more able to speak out about the things that I'm passionate about you know it's hard to look and think do I wish things had been different well yeah I mean I do wish I'd never got ill obviously like it was a horrible horrible time but yeah that's how Wealth of Wellbeing came about. That's how I'm now doing this work that I'm so passionate about and I literally yeah. like love and thrive yeah. for. And yeah. so many people that I'm speaking to, yourself included, is uh-huh. just like, I don't know, it's not like we loved that period of time or anything. It was awful. But yeah. look at what it's given me. Exactly. Turn it, I always say it's turning pain into purpose. I love it. Completely. Yeah. It's Otherwise, it's like, for me, I don't know about you, but I, I felt like, like, you know, over half my life was kind of written off. Mm. It was like it was just all doom and gloom mainly and just bad things. Yeah. Whereas now, actually, turn it into something really positive and to help other people as well. And mm. so it feels really worthwhile. Yeah, it's bizarre. I think my journey is a bit different in the sense of I never knew anything was wrong. So, you know, until I had my breakdown, when I got my diagnosis, I was like, oh, actually, that will make sense because I tried mm. to take my life quite young and I never really knew why I did what I did. Mm. And I had a lot similar to you in the sense I internalized everything. So I had mm. all these things happening inside, but on the outside, I was very good at projecting. Yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's great. I've got this great life. I've got these lovely uh-huh. But I always felt lonely. I always felt alone. And like I had something similar. I felt like there was something wrong with me. And I felt like people didn't want me around. I felt like Mm. I wasn't welcome in the world in general. Mm. I don't really know how else to describe it. But I was very Mm. pretending and Mm. showing up and, you know, delivering this kind of happy Rachel that I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So when I had my breakdown, it was kind of like, oh God, maybe this is who I am. And then I think that was then the fear setting of the label and, oh God, what if you never get well again? And what if you've, what if you've broken all the circuits and there's no way back from this and you're just bedridden now and that's it. You're never going to, that when I started to find all this alternative work and program my mind, I was just like, oh my God, there's a total another way of doing things. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I wish I'd found all that stuff much earlier. Oh, me too. Because yeah. that's what's really helped me, learning to reframe my thoughts, yeah. really. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's been a real pleasure <laughs> to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming on. No, you're um, welcome. I guess just as a passing comment, mm. anyone that's listening to this and that, you know, if this is you and you're you're listening to this right now and, and you're maybe not in a great space and maybe you feel like things are hope, hopeless and what's the point and, and all those things that come up when you're not in a great space, what advice would you give to somebody who's feeling like that right now? Find someone to share it with. Mm. Find, because even if, I mean, back in the 80s, we didn't have the internet and things like that. And I felt so on my own. Mm. There was the Samaritans and I used yeah. to ring, ring them regularly and I used to visit them as well. So, and they really helped me because it's having that, someone to hear you, holding that space non-judgmentally so please yeah I, I'd urge anyone to reach out don't don't keep it all to yourself mm. I'm a big supporter of the Samaritans as well and at the bottom of these you'll be able to find some links to to useful charities and and helplines and everything else of where you might be able to get that support if you feel that you can't get it from from friends or family or anything like that I, I know from my own experience even though 
on a on one level I felt like I and I do and I'm blessed oh my god with my family and my friends I'm so lucky I've got some incredible incredible people in my life loads of them as well I'm very lucky mm. but when I was in that period of not being very well I would scroll through my phone mm. and I wouldn't be able to pick somebody to speak to mm. I would just think they don't care yeah and actually when you know I ring the Samaritans it was like brilliant because whoever's on the end of the phone they're yeah. never going to ring you back you yeah know, around there for a cup of tea on Tuesday and they go yeah oh, feeling now? yeah I want to talk about it now you know yeah. it's that it's such a good service so yeah yeah definitely and it, it's actually really hard to make that call in the first place isn't it to reach oh, out terrifying it's yeah a lot of the time I chose not to but when I did they, they were amazing yeah yeah amazing so reach out ask for help yeah you're not in this alone and there's always help it does always yeah. get better yeah definitely yeah uh, well thank you so much for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you for anyone listening and you're wondering how the hell am I going to get hold of Sam she's amazing there's all going to be the links and everything underneath this so check out her website go and uh, get a copy of her book give it a good read and we will see you on the next episode Things I Wish I'd Known is brought to you by Welford Wellbeing. Check out my website at www.welfordwellbeing.com.